So more than 2,000 years ago, and that's what we're thinking about this weekend and the rest of this week too, uh, God's plan of redemption changed the world forever because the power of sin and death was broken through that crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ that first Easter. Death was defeated, and instead we have true life, spiritual life, God's life for us, and God's life triumphed. Uh, during this week, we're going to continue to to experience the events together of Holy Week and come alive to what God's story is for each of us. And that's what that Come Alive brochure is about. It's a good way to invite friends to come, but it's a good reminder for us too that uh, we want to come alive to God's story because that's the transforming power for us that transforms us and the world by His grace. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to read a, a portion in Luke 19, starting at verse 28. So grab your Bible, and we'll be looking at that. Uh, the life that Jesus offers to you and me, to all of us, is reason to celebrate. And it's the reason that we want to respond to God, to his open arms, to his invitation to draw near to him. And I'm glad that you're here on this Palm Sunday as we continue this journey toward the cross uh, and through the life-giving experience of Holy Week and God's power of transforming each of us into a new creation. Uh, the events of Palm Sunday are often referred to as the triumphal entry. In fact, it maybe says that at the top of your portion of scripture that we're going to read today. Uh, the triumphal entry, and it's recorded actually in all four of the Gospels. There are some things that are in all four of them, and those are important things because every one of them talks about it. And you'll see there's a little, a little bit of difference. You know, if somebody comes... Uh, and talks about an event, if something happened here and we all talked about it, we would all describe it a little differently because we would all see a little different things. And so generally it's the same, but we'll pull on a little bit of uh, some of the others as well. Uh, the journey actually that we're talking about here actually began long before Palm Sunday. It began long before the anointing in Bethlehem. It actually started before Jesus' public ministry, and it started before his birth. In the, in the being placed in the manger in Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus' purpose was part of a much bigger plan. And it was established before the creation of the world. And it went above and beyond what those people saw and knew that first Palm Sunday. His journey isn't about immediate circumstances, and it would impact eternity. His journey isn't just about the earthly events that happened in the streets of Jerusalem that week but it was a truly significant thing in the spiritual realm. Uh, Jesus' journey wasn't about human cooperation or approval, was it? It was actually one of obedience to the Father and to fulfill God's plan for redeeming the world. So let's read then in Luke 19, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached, Approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of disciples and said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. 
And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this example of your will and how you use Jesus to accomplish that. And Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, entered Jerusalem triumphantly that day, but it was about so much more. And so, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us today through your word and transform us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So this journey that Jesus is on shows us that our lives are actually above and beyond as we live them. We can live them above and beyond our immediate circumstances. And the thing that we can see through this is there's really three different groups of people that really show us these things. And that's the disciples, the crowds, and the Pharisees. And so to live our lives above and beyond the immediate, the first thing we need to do is be obedient to God. And Jesus asked the disciples to go and get a donkey. Now, uh, that was, he said, it's one that's a foal and had not been ridden before. They must have thought, what on earth? Because up till now, Jesus hadn't been riding around on any donkeys. And, um, you know, since it was the time of Passover, they're probably thinking, this is not part of the normal deal. What is the deal about a colt? What's the deal about this donkey? So what do you think of when you see a donkey? Stubbornness. Anyone else? Slow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're hard to train. They are. They're kind of obstinate. They're kind of stubborn. Um, I can't imagine that riding on a thing like this with just a coat thrown over it would be a very smooth ride. And so, I mean, they're probably thinking, what on earth is Jesus thinking here? And if you and I were in charge of the event and Jesus said, go get me something to ride in on to Jerusalem, uh, we would not be going and getting a donkey, I don't think. We would think, what? The grand entrance into Jerusalem for Jesus. Uh, we, we would get a majestic big horse, right? That's, or a camel, something big and like really wonderful. We wouldn't think of this little guy. Um, we would want something that was worthy of the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, as he entered the city. And can you imagine these a couple of disciples that Jesus sends to go get this. They're probably talking all the way, wondering what Jesus has in mind for this donkey. They just can't imagine. And yet they're obedient to what he tells them to do. It's a new thing, but they're like, okay, God, okay, Jesus, we're going to go do it. And uh, actually, even though this maybe seemed a little unusual, there was a meaning here. There was a prophecy that symbolized what Jesus was doing. 
and riding in on the donkey went above and beyond the immediate or the practical. It tied into that prophecy. In Zechariah 9, 9, in the Old Testament, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in the chapter in Matthew that has this account, it, it talks about uh, this very thing. Matthew says in Matthew 21, he says, uh, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth- Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So right here we see that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. So when he specifically told them to get a donkey, that what, and not a horse and not a camel, but a donkey, this wasn't like a plan B, like he didn't think there were any horses left to get. This was actually the right thing that God had promised years ago. And so, you know, I mean, for you and I, we would probably think, no, you know what? I wouldn't want to go in there on a donkey. I'd want a horse, right? And we would think, If we had to go on a donkey, that would be because the horse plan fell through somehow. And it would be something we would think would be settling uh, for something less and not the thing that we would really want. And there's times in our life when we think we have to compromise. We think, you know, this is having to settle for this. This can't possibly be what God has for me. And it's actually maybe the thing that God has specifically designed for you at that time. Before we were ever born, like Pastor Steve said last week, it's, it's probably his will for us right then as we're encountering that, as we're going through that. To, instead of looking at it like settling or something less, look at it for this is what God has for me right now. This is the thing he wants me to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's plans that are before eternity for us as well, not just for Jesus, but for us as well, that as we're in these situations that seem a little difficult, that we are actually listening to what God has for us, being obedient to him and accomplishing his will in those circumstances. And sometimes it might be something new and different. Sometimes it might be something we can't think how in the world, but yet God has designed that for you to accomplish his will in you and through you. God's plan for us should never be called plan B. It's always the exact right thing that he has for us. He designs the events that we go through to bring us to that next level in him, to bring us closer to him and accomplish his will if we are obedient to him. Many of the Jewish people gathering in Jerusalem would have probably seen Jesus coming in and and they would have known about this Old Testament prophecy. And it's as he's coming in, they have this thought in their mind of what this is. And they're seeing he's proclaiming himself as Messiah and King. And that simple act of riding in on the donkey demonstrated a connection to this prophecy of the past. And it also points to Jesus' future as the king. Uh, Not an earthly king like they expected, though, but a spiritual king. 
by being obedient to what Jesus told them to do, these disciples had a part in that plan, that overall plan that God had for the people. So to live our lives above and beyond, first we have to be obedient and do what God shows us to do. And then the second thing is we need to honor Jesus as Savior and Lord. Passover was one of the three feasts that the Jewish people were supposed to all come together in Jerusalem. And they came from all over the nation. In fact, they came from all over the world, too. And to be there in Jerusalem was full of people. I mean, it was just large crowds everywhere. Have you ever been to the Minnesota State Fair when it's like one of the record days and there's like mobs of people there? Well, that's what it would have been like. Like, you're kind of trying to walk down the street, you know, and here's, oh, I want to get over there to that, like, the cookies or whatever, and the donuts. And you have to really work at getting through the crowd to get there. That's how this crowd would have been. It would have been mobbed with people. And they're all out there celebrating Passover and seeing Jesus come. And the day before, Mary had anointed Jesus in that very private time that we talked about last week. She honored him. And now there is this loud large outpouring of enthusiasm from this crowd. And they're calling after Jesus, Baruch Habav Hashem Adonai, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're actually quoting something from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, 25 and 26 says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And this would have been something that they would have called out to each other as they entered Jerusalem. And so they're calling it out here as the disciples come down from the Mount of Olives and Jesus is riding on the, on the foal of the donkey. And there, it says in Mark 11, 9 and 10, it says that those were ahead and those who were following. So all these people are calling out and it says, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Actually, blessed is he, blessed is the coming of the father, uh, kingdom of our father David is really a clear statement here that they see him as a king. They want him to be a king like David. And they're shouting Hosanna, which means save or help. And that actually, the tense of that verb isn't just like generally save or help. It means, Lord, save us now, help us now. They're looking for this immediate change, this immediate salvation. Like they're saying, here's coming our conquering king. And they're looking at him like a king returning from battle, you know, victorious over the enemy. And the people cut down these palm branches and they're waving them as Jesus is entering. The palm branches were used Anytime there was a victorious ruler that would return from battle, they would wave the palm branches and spread cloaks in the street. And so that's why the Pharisees in this account are like so unnerved and so upset because it's like the people are, are claiming that Jesus is about to claim the throne of David. They're seeing it it's like, this is the time, Jesus. Take the throne. Get rid of those Roman oppressions. And, and uh, <clears throat> they have this wrong idea, this false expectation. Okay, uh, just to kind of give you a little thought about how that would be. Imagine that you've loaded your whole family in the car and the children are with you and they're so excited. They're so excited because they think they're going to the ice cream store because as you start out of the garage and start down the street, you're going the direction toward the ice cream store. And they're excited. They can almost taste the ice cream. And then you keep on driving past the ice cream store. 
In fact, you go to the airport. And you get out and get everyone on the plane. I guess you had the passports with you. And you get on the plane and you go to Paris. And the family should be so excited, right? It's a trip of a lifetime. Uh, Who can believe it? You're in Paris. But they're all upset. The kids are saying they really wanted the ice cream. And uh, it wasn't what they were expecting. It didn't fit in to their idea of what was about to happen. Well, that's a crazy example, I know. But it gives us a glimpse into what this was like on this Palm Sunday. The people saw Jesus as the answer to their problems right then. The occupation of the Romans. They saw him as the one who was going to give them the liberation from those oppressive Romans that they desired. And they thought, here is the king, he's arriving, and they could almost taste the victory. They're waving the palm branches, these traditional symbols of victory, and spreading their cloaks on the ground for this new king as he comes into town. He's finally coming, and he's going to set up this new kingdom. But they had the wrong expectations. They wanted Jesus to do what they thought he should do, and to do it right then. And they knew about all the healings and the miracles. They had heard about Lazarus just a little while ago being raised from the dead, and they saw Jesus as the one who could make their lives easier. They, they had these fickle emotions. They loved him, actually, for what they could get from him. And Jesus wasn't the king that they were expecting. He wasn't here to set up this earthly kingdom. He was a spiritual king. And his victory was the ultimate victory over sin and death. It would be so much more freedom for them than freedom from their current oppression. It would give victory to every person and enable them to have this right relationship with God. He would throw off and defeat not the oppression of the Romans, but the oppression of their souls. For us, we can't just look to what Jesus is going to give us now. To save us from whatever mess we're in, whatever attack we're facing, whatever problems we're in, and not surrender to him as our Savior and our Lord. We can't just follow Jesus for what we can get from him. See, Jesus is our salvation from sin. He gives us eternal life, but he's also our Lord. And the people wanted him to be their now Savior. To help him out of a political situation, they had these false expectations about what Jesus would do for them, but they didn't see him as the Lord. So how do we, you and I, honor Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives? You honor Jesus Christ as Lord. Prioritize. Make time, prioritize. Anything else? Be obedient. Follow his laws. Yeah, anything else? Spend time in worship. Awesome. Great, great thoughts. And share. Yeah, exactly. Daily, we have to lay down our wills. And Jesus called this dying to self. And submit our wills to Jesus Christ. You know, every day we want to read his word. We want to spend time with him, like you said. Uh, Ask for his guidance. When you're making a decision about something, a big decision or a little one, you know, just pray and say, God, give me the guidance I need on this. Give me the wisdom to make this decision. 
and being willing to allow the Holy Spirit each day to fill us up with his power and ask him for his wisdom. Tuesday night at the Bible study, we were in um, John 14, talking about how the Holy Spirit is our guide, our, our advocate, our comforter. We want to ask God to fill us with that each day. Holy Spirit, fill us up and give us the ability to navigate our day and ask Jesus to show us what to do in those situations that are difficult. Uh, the good ones also, you know, like, God, how do I handle this? What do I do? And ask him for direction. And he'll put that thought within you, within the core of who you are. You'll just know what the right thing is. And as you read his word, it should be in alignment with his word. Uh, pray and ask God, make me like Jesus Christ today. Every day when you get up, you can take the time to read the word and apply that scripture to your life and ask God, Lord, help use this in my life to make me be like Jesus. And take those thoughts, Lord God, that are not of you, and I submit them to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, wash them off of me. Protect me from the attack of the enemy in my mind and against me today. And instead, Lord God, give me your strength and your power. And as you encounter things during the day, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, to temper you, to give you the words to say to people. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And I think why that is, is because all day long stuff is happening and we can send those little short little prayers. We want to pray at length at some time during our day. But if you're in the middle of work and, and there's something that happens and you are wondering how to handle it, just a little help God prayer is okay. And just ask God to give you what you need to deal with that. If someone is really rubbing you the wrong way, don't allow your flesh to respond. Let God give you the strength to respond to that. I mean, silently or privately, commit those situations to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And claim his victory. Because we know we have victory over sin and death. What else is there, right? Claim his victory in that area. We should be different than the people we're around every day because we have Jesus Christ in us. And so they should see his love, his joy, his peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us. And sometimes that last one, the self-control is the hardest one, right? <laughs> right? But we pray and we say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Help me to have this evidence of you in my life, Lord Jesus. Daily surrender to Jesus Christ, not just as our Savior, but also as our Lord. Because we want to honor him with our lives. That helps us to live a life above and beyond the immediate. And the last thing we want to do is receive what God has for you. Now, the example of what not to do here is the Pharisees, right? They had this fear of losing this elaborate system that they had, had uh, created, the position that they had in the nation of Israel. I mean, they were big deals, right? And so they thought that they knew what God and the law was all about, and they had it nailed down. Not only did they have the word of God for them, the Old Testament, but they also had uh, books and books and books describing how to live that out. So they thought they were professionals, and they didn't want to give any of that up. And so when Jesus came along and he started talking, they were like so hardened against what he had for them. In fact, in verse 44, we see Jesus said, 
they didn't recognize the time of God's coming to them. He said, you've missed it. That's really sad. Sometimes, though, we even can be like that. We can get an idea uh, or a way of doing things, and it gets so strong in our mind that even when God brings something in front of us, something new, something he wants to show us, that we look at it through the lens of everything else that we have put in our minds, and we don't receive it. As Jesus came from Bethany down from the Mount of Olives, he would have approached this eastern gate on the side of Jerusalem to enter. And according to Jewish tradition, the Shekinah glory used to appear through the eastern gate and will appear through that again when the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. That's in Ezekiel 44, 2. The Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord God of Israel has entered through it. And so as Jesus is coming in, he's making a statement. And the Pharisees knew that this was a proclamation that Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. And the Pharisees see this large crowd, this mob of people praising Jesus, and uh, they can't stand it. They said, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. See, the last thing they want is a celebration for the guy they're trying to get rid of that they are, have been trying to find a way to kill. And it makes them pretty furious. But Jesus says, hey, <laughs> if these people are quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. And so the people and the disciples who are praising Jesus, it's a praise that is due him. And he's saying, if you do not give the praise that is due the Lord God, that is due me, creation itself will cry out. And each Sunday as we gather together, we're giving a praise to God that is due him. A praise for Jesus, for our salvation, for who he is to us in our lives, our Lord and Savior. And that's why when we praise Jesus, when we lift him up with our voices, the presence of God is in this place because God has received his due praise. And the Pharisees, they just can't handle that. And they're telling each other they're getting nowhere. In John 12, 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world's gone after him. They just do not know what to do. This growing influence that Jesus is receiving. They're not able to receive what God is giving the world through Jesus Christ. They're too set in what they want and what they have. They refuse to accept what God is doing through Jesus and they miss it and for each of us there's something that God wants to do in our lives to be part of this overarching plan of eternity we can either be part of that and see God work through us and use us to accomplish his will or we can miss it because we didn't receive the time of his coming in our lives the interesting thing that we see with Jesus as we look through all the Gospels, we can see him interacting with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And some of the discussions are pretty strong. Some of the words he has from them are pretty strong. And some of the reactions he gets from them are pretty heated. It says a lot of times that they're trying to find a way to kill him. But you know what? Even though Jesus had strong words for these people, he still loved them. 
Because it tells us in the passage today in verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and looked at the city, he wept over it. He's weeping for the people. He's weeping for the Pharisees. He's weeping because the people would not receive what God wanted to do for them and through them. He's weeping because of their religiosity and their lack of repentance. He wept because the very thing they needed, the peace of God, the peace of God for their lives, the peace inside for inside of them was the very thing that they were refusing to accept. And part of it was that the package it was sent in, Jesus Christ, didn't fit their expectations. It didn't seem to be what they wanted. It upset their current state of affairs, and they missed the opportunity of God's blessing for themselves. Today, God is offering us through Jesus Christ that same thing he offered the people following him on that day, and that's a chance to live a life above and beyond the immediate circumstances, above what anything we can live in our own strength and power, a life above and beyond by being obedient to God, by honoring Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and by receiving what God has for us. So let's stand as we close, please. So I just ask everyone, just bow your heads and just uh, consider this. Uh, What about you? Have, Have you received what God has for you? It seems like you've been living, maybe trying to accomplish the plan that you think you should have. And really what God wants you to to do today is to surrender to his will, to seek his direction and allow him to use you. And maybe you're thinking, how in the world can God use me? But listen, Jesus used a donkey, okay? (laughs) He can use us. So if you want to receive what God has for you, to be used by him each day, to honor him as your Savior and Lord, to surrender to his will for your life, to receive what he has for you. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, I thank you that this passage shows us that when we receive what you have for us, you have blessing, you have peace, you have so much more for us than what we could ever imagine. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have in our mind a thing of how it should be that's so strong of our own imagination that we fail to recognize what you have for us now. Lord God, I pray that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Give us your strength, your character, your ability. Lord God, use us that when people see us, they see Jesus Christ. They see the the fruit of the Spirit operating fully in our lives. Lord God, use us to draw the world to you. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in each of our lives, that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us to accomplish as part of your overall plan for eternity. Lord God, I thank you that it's not dependent on us to do anything else but receive it. 
And so, Lord God, we do. We want to be the people that you've created us to be, to do the things that you have created us to do. Lord God, I pray that you would fill us up with your strength and power and wisdom to do what you've called us to each day that we would spend time in your word, that we would spend time worshiping you to get what we need each day to accomplish those things. And Father, I know many of us face hard things. Lord, help us through that. We know, Lord, that your desire for us is to come through that. Like David said in the Psalms, that we might be in that valley of the shadow of death, but you take us through. And that you seat us at a table in the presence of our enemies. Lord, just anoint us with that oil today of your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.